the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show, The Ryan Jesperson Show, on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Specifically, in recognition of our guest today, John Dunham, marketing and promotion rep with Universal Music Canada. Who are we hearing? That was the Strumbellas, Spirits. Yeah, they're an Ontario band. You just played Jimmy Kimmel. And these are one of the bands that you rep? Yeah, yeah. They got signed. Well, they're on a label called Six Shooter Records, who Universal distributes, and we do their radio tracking. They just got signed to a deal from Glassnote Records, which is the same label as Mumford & Sons in the States, and now they're just blowing up stateside. Do I say congratulations to you? I mean, I know well, you say congratulations to the Strumbellas, but you must feel like part of a band's journey. Yeah, for sure. I'm a, I'm a part of the cog of the big machine. Welcome Not to Chad. It's so cog. good to have you here, John. <laughs> Thanks, uh, we've worked together on and off uh, for years now. Yes. In, uh, my previous role as a morning television show host, you would be in our studio at like 6.15, 6.30 in the morning with a yeah. band uh, wiping the sleep out of its collective eye, yes. sound checking, oftentimes with the tour bus just outside, okay. having rolled in from another show. You have a really cool job. For those that don't understand what you do, what do you do? I do, on my business card it says marketing and promotion for Universal Music, so that means I, uh, I do uh, radio tracking, I uh, pitch songs to radio station programmers and then if they get on the radio, track them and make sure they stay on and get spun more and marketing, you know, I, I write radio scripts and, uh, and put, position the music in those radio scripts and work with a team of other people to get the retail tag on those radio scripts and stuff, but yeah, it's a little bit of everything. I'm the only guy in town that does it for Universal, so got to be a jack-of-all-trades a little bit. And people probably don't realize, you've just kind of laid it out for us, how much science (laughs) goes into music. Oh my God, I'm an... I analyze uh, numbers all day. Those numbers are spins of songs on on radio stations, and uh, I look at you know market shares and and rating percentages and whatnot. So I know I'm in the top spot right now. Yeah, yeah. Who's doing it? Who's numbers. doing? Who's doing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Numbers wise, yeah. You're on the biggest show in yeah, town right that's now. That's right. I am. I know that. And all my radio. <laughs> I'm gonna get a text too. message from a certain somebody <laughs> because I know that under a certain demographic, we're number oh, two. Oh yeah, well, and yeah. He'll, talk he'll to let, the sales guys. They break down the demographics. <laughs> yeah. Like if you no talk more. to sales guys at any radio station, every radio station's yeah. number, We're number one. number one with males 35 to 45 who have one leg. We've know, got right? them locked down. <laughs> See? We've got them locked down. John, a big part of what you do as well, you get to head out on the road with bands. You get to be backstage. You get to be coordinating and facilitating the meet and greets, making people's you know, fans' dreams come true. How did this all start 
for you? Well, I I want to say I don't go on the road very much at all, really. Um, what? Yeah, I you used were to... just telling me about the trip where you got to stay in Buddy's backyard. I thought we were going to get to that story in a trip second. That I do on my own personal time. Oh, okay. Pardon yeah, me. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. so you just party on the road on your personal time <laughs> with fans. If they let me sleep in their camper in their backyard driveway, yes. Whose that, backyard were you sleeping in again? That was uh, the bass player from Headley, Tommy Mack. Okay. He's from Edmonton. I've got a I've got Headley written down here on yeah, a piece of yeah. paper. He's totally. one of those I want to talk to you about. And Dallas Smith and Rihanna and a, and a whole bunch of others. But, so anyway, but what, what, was, what was 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old John Dunham doing? Did you know you wanted to work in the music business right from the start? Uh, I knew I wanted to be in music. I knew that I am a music. I was a music fan and am a music fan. When I was five years old, I would be lip-syncing Elvis songs to my friends who came over for my birthday party. Like my mom told me this story. She was upstairs getting my cake ready, and there was supposed to be ten five-year-olds in the basement making noise, but they're all quiet. My mom goes down, and I'm lip-syncing "Teddy Bear" by Elvis Presley to my friends on this little stage in the basement. So from then on, I guess I was hooked. But thirteen-year-old Johnny was uh, fresh off the boat from Newfoundland. Uh, when uh, when I came to Edmonton, huh. and uh, my mom took me to Loverboy and Genesis and Lionel Richie and Tina Turner at Rexall. I was blown away by all that and was like, this has got to be a part of my life. Wow. So you asked for, for placement, as I understand it. Your first paying job, was it, at, at uh, A&B? A&A. Records A&A. and Tapes. It was A&A Records and Tapes, a national chain that had two locations in Kingsway Garden Mall. It was called Kingsway Garden Mall at the time. It had two or three locations in West Edmonton Mall, and one in Londonderry, one in Northwood, all over the city. Uh, so I asked my work experience coordinator to put me in a record store. Uh, this was in 1988. 1988. I was in grade 11. And you don't get paid when you're work experience. I don't know if you do now, but I did not get paid uh, to do this job, but I was cool with it. I wanted to work in music. I wanted to work in a record store. I wanted to be around music. So uh, that happened, and then the manager was like, well, you look like you know what you're doing, so how about I pay you like four fifty an hour, whatever minimum wage was in 1988? More than zero. And I was like, yes, awesome, I'm in. And then I uh, worked for them for about a year, and then the Sam the Record Man manager in the mall, because there was a Sam's, there was a Music World, there was an A&A, there was a Mr. Sound, like retail was buzzing at that yeah. time with record sales and, right, and that kind of thing. So the Sam the Record Man guy came over, he's like, you look like you know what you're doing, how about you come work for me for five fifty an hour? I'm like, hi, I'm in. And and that was awesome because Sam the Record Man used to buy all their music direct from the record labels, whereas A&A Records and Tapes used to get all their music from a warehouse just shipped to their store, right? So all the radio or all the record reps would come in from MCA, from Warner, from, a- from A&M, from Polygram, and I met them all and found out when they were hiring, when jobs were available, and finally in 1994, MCA Records hired me. Wow. Sales guy. So that was your first job, MCA Records, officially in the industry working for a label. Yes, MCA. And then in 1999, they uh, bought out Polygram and became Universal Music and still is. So you've been with the same company essentially for your entire career as a marketing and promo rep. Yes. Which is 21 years in Edmonton. Is that unusual in the music business? I think it's unusual almost in any business these days. 21 years with one company in this market that we're in is uh, something to stand for, I suppose. But yeah, especially in the tumultuous music industry, definitely 21 years of one company is a long time. There's a few people that share the same sort of uh, anniversaries that I do and more. I realize there's a little bit of irony in, in, in me working in media making this observation because maybe right. we're a little bit in the same boat. For sure. But you have seen such a dramatic shift in essentially Every element of your industry through your tenure. I've seen I'm not even talking about. I mean, go away I mean, and come back again. <laughs> sales models, 
yeah. technology. Yeah. People have gone from, like you said, records and tapes to CDs to... to Do you remember uh, cassette singles? Digital audio cassettes? Right. I sold them all. That mini discs, which yeah. didn't really catch on Not that really, well, no, no. And, and then now, of course, to the point of, of MP3s and digital music right. sharing and, and streaming. People, I mean, yeah. streaming is the new landscape. The thing, yeah. How does a guy keep up? How does a guy stay ahead of the game, let alone on top of it? Hmm. That well, you know, we're uh, encouraged to watch trends, but uh, how do I? St- it's not really my job to stay on top of the technology part. You know, uh, that's one. But trend-wise, like you say, you're evaluating radio numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relevance of those or the significance of those has that changed over no, the years? Not for me in regards to the importance of radio. I think it's still very important. Um, either it be terrestrial radio or satellite radio. Just getting music out to people for free is nice and then whatever happens from there is what the record industry is built on for years how big is it how important is it and how significant is it for an artist to have their single hit radio very important um it works for most artists that way i mean some get a song in a sync deal with a jeep or something and become more of a hit uh before their songs on the radio like this great group from New York called X Ambassadors. They got signed to uh, Imagine Dragons has a, a record label. They signed these guys and uh, they got their song called Renegades in a Jeep Renegade commercial and it became a hit kind of before it became a hit on radio and then it went to number one hmm. at Alternative Radio. Do respect, and I, I don't even know if she's on your label. I suspect she's probably not, but someone like Feist who, who had a lot of years in the music industry and was doing well, but then all of a sudden Apple or somebody else decides to pick up their song and then boom. Mm-hmm. You must have seen a lot of artists' careers explode over Some. the course of weeks or months. Some, yeah, well, Feist is, uh, she was on a label through EMI, which Universal acquired EMI a couple years ago. So now Feist, I suppose, depending on what her latest contract looks like, is still a Universal artist. Uh, and what's great is that Feist's career got started by our, our brand new CEO, uh, Jeffrey Remedios. He was uh, leading Arts and Crafts record label, which Feist started on. And now, um, hopefully, uh, her next record will be with us, and uh, it'll, I'm sure will do amazingly well. I think the similar thing happened to Serena Ryder with Stompa, a huge song she had. She's got a new record coming out. Can't wait for that. Lots of exciting new stuff coming out. Edmonton-related uh, band, July Talk, uh, they've, they've done really well at Alternative Radio and in the uh, sort of concert scene across the country. Uh, so lots of cool stuff coming. Is there a band that you've seen from the humble minivan travel days all the way up to private jets? Mm, yeah, and then back to minivan. And then back to the minivan. Like, uh, to the one, minivan. <laughs> one of them uh, that stands out is, is the band Headley. Uh, Jake and all those guys in Headley, have, uh, they're awesome. I've seen them, f- you know, I've worked with them from day one to right now. And I can't say they're riding around in jets, but uh, they, I do pick them up at the airport when, when they get here. Um, they've obviously done very well for themselves. And it's just amazing to see these guys become like pals of mine. Like I said, we, I've stayed in the, the bass player's backyard on a motorcycle trip that I took to Vancouver one time and it's just nice to be able to call him up and say hey uh, can I stay in your camper but I would imagine <laughs> it, 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 would, it would be probably <laughs> they didn't just find you in the camper <laughs> yeah. on night on night number three <laughs> huddled <laughs> around the Coleman propane uh, so I mean you're obviously to state the obvious you play an important role for a band as their marketing and promo rap do you feel like one of the team, do you share a band's victories? And in some cases, do you fall in love with a band's sound? 
and wonder why on earth they're not blowing up bigger than they are? Sometimes that happens, yeah. And, you know, it's all a matter of timing and just where music is, where the public is and their acceptance to that type of music. So, yeah, that happens sometimes where I'll listen to a band. There's a band called The Treasures, who I think sound like the band and Van Morrison kind of sounding stuff. And they're awesome. They're from Ontario. And they got signed to Universal and kind of didn't really go anywhere too too much. And I got them some play on CKUA, and they played a few shows in and around Edmonton. But, uh, yeah, went nowhere. And I think it was just and nowhere in the very most respectable way. Uh, sure. I'm sure. They're still writing music. Numbers-wise. You know, yeah, yeah. It just wasn't, you know, the next big thing. Um, but then there's a, a band that's called Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Uh, we uh, distribute those guys uh, through another record label called Stax, like an ancient record label that was around the 60s. These guys played the Folk Festival last year. Uh, it blew up. Um, a modern rock station in town uh, played their single for the first time in Canada, and then they had to play it 15 minutes after again. Now, that might sound not unusual to a pop music station, but a rock modern rock station doesn't play the same song 15 minutes later. They just had so many people calling about it, and uh, that band just huge went huge, took off. Now it's number one uh, in at Alternative in Canada for the first time. It's the first market that the band's gone platinum in, gone gold on their album, platinum on their single. Like, it's great to see that. And I've worked with those guys; they're super great dudes, and uh, I look forward to watching them continue on up. Are labels significant? Does it matter for... I mean, obviously, you want to be... I mean, like Universal Music is, is a huge label. Yeah. But do labels matter for a band? Because some of these labels you're mentioning, you're going, yeah, these guys have years of history, or this is an iconic label, and I'm, and I'm sitting here going, I've never heard of that label before. <laughs> S-T-A-X Stacks. Uh, it was an old 60s R&B label. Yeah. yeah. Does a label matter? Um, to, to some people, it has a cachet. There were certain times where I would buy anything on sub-pop records because Nirvana and Soundgarden or, or, and all these bands I was into in the grunge era MXPX. were on that label. And then <laughs> yeah. I was just in Seattle a couple weeks ago coming back from Costa Rica on a vacation, and sub-pop has a freaking record store in the, in the airport. A big record store. I was like, wow, this is crazy. There was a time I would lose my head if I stumbled into this store. And I just walked around just amazed so labels uh yeah some labels are small boutique labels so if you're on this smaller label you will have more attention given to you by you know the president of that label or whoever's running it um and then sometimes having the power of a major label behind you helps propel you further along faster than you might have it's essentially like an endorsement right this label saying we believe them enough to sign them and yeah, Here they are. Effort and money into it. And, and Pardon me while I hit pause for a second, will you, John? Yeah. Gotta pay it's ten twenty. Well, we got to qualify somebody <laughs> to go see GNR in yes. Sin City. It's the show, a quarter century in the making, Guns N' Roses, together in Las Vegas for their first show in more than two decades. And you could be there to see Axel and Slash play nice again. One lucky winner and a guest will win a trip to two to Las Vegas to see Guns N' Roses perform, get this, their very first show back together. If you haven't visited 630Ched.com to register, do it now. And then tune in daily right here on Ched at 7. 1020 a.m. and 420 p.m. Listen for your name. If you hear your name, call back within six minutes and 30 seconds. You'll be qualified to see the reunion concert of a lifetime. Shell Grope. Shell Grope. You have six minutes and 30 seconds to call 780-496-0063. We wish you all the luck in the world. If you haven't already signed up at 630shed.com, do it now. We're back with John Dunham. A really cool job. I want some stories from the road right after this. Work, work. You see me do me dirt, 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 dirt.
As if she needed an introduction, it's one of the biggest stars on the planet. It's Rihanna and John Dunham in the spotlight today. Really cool jobs right here on 630, Chad. Uh, you, you and Rihanna, I mean, you guys roll together, don't you? We, well, she's a good hugger, I can tell you that. Met her a couple times, you know, when she's come through town, and when she realizes that I'm her radio tracker, her record company guy, like, she's a bit more friendly to just, you know, the contest winner who was before me or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, her and Drake are on that uh, album, or on that single, Work, and uh, Drake's super nice, too. Met him once uh, when he played Reds in West Edmonton Mall. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You you must have seen some artists that are big now. I mean, I, I sort of asked this in a different context a while ago, but you must have seen some great artists in some really small venues. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, yeah, Drake at Reds would definitely uh, be one of them. I saw Nirvana in 1992 uh, in the basement of what is now the Starlight Room. In the basement. They didn't even get the main stage upstairs. There was like, you know, there's like 30 people who say they're at that show. And I can tell you I was one of those 30 people. And Kurt Cobain was wasted. And the show was really messy. But, uh, you know, it was before the Nevermind album came out. And it was uh, while they were touring on an album called Bleach on wow. Sub Pop Records. Keith is wondering if uh, you've checked out HBO's series Vinyl. I have not yet. It looks very intriguing. And isn't it uh, written by um, Mick Jagger? I don't know anything uh, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think he's like a, an executive somewhere in the in the makings of this story. But yeah, I love the actors on that uh, show, and I've had a few people tell me about it, and I really want to check it out. I'm just uh, a really bad TV watcher. Yeah, when I was, I, I binge watch television mm-hmm. unless unless it's Oilers games or the news. I, I kind of just wait, and then I'll just yeah. watch an entire series in a weekend. Uh, yeah. When I was when I was hearing you talk earlier on though about how you got started, I was picturing High Fidelity, uh, you know, the movie with John Cusack mm-hmm. and Jack Black, and yeah. I just that that Record to me stories. is just oh. an excellent. Yeah, the crew that I had at uh, Sam the Record Man, uh, let's say at West Edmonton Mall, you know, it was like 25 staff members deep, and it was so diverse. You know, I had the goth chick, you had the hippie reggae dude, you had the jazz heads, you had the the classical guy. Like, it was awesome. It was full of characters. I miss that. And as we see some of the the independent record shops in town still survive, Mm -hmm. and I was going to say still fighting to survive, but I've never looked into their books, and that's maybe not fair for me to say, but we've seen some of them close recently. I I lament that loss. It's, it's, It's part, it's, it's part of the fabric of a community, that that independent record store. Well, vinyl is making a comeback. In fact, it's our number one most improved format in sales. Really? Right now, yeah. Absolutely. That's official. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can you do a little name dropping? I know some, I mean, someone here is, is wondering uh, if, if you know George Strait, if you've ever met George Strait. Have <laughs> I've you? I've never met George Strait. Uh, he's a pretty reclusive guy in regards to doing any media and press and interviews. So, you know, that would He doesn't really need to, does yeah, he? Yeah, that's where I would come in. But, you know, I've done promotions with country music stations where we send people to see his shows and I do all kinds of like win it weekends with his CDs when they come out. But yeah, I haven't met George. Who's a real beauty? Who of the megastars is, is someone that you're just like, I, I, I would love to have you babysit my kids or I'd love to go to Mexico <laughs> you know, with you for a week. Cheryl Crow impressed me once because she knew who I was before I introduced myself to her, which was really cool. I thought, wow, you actually looked into this for five seconds of your day. So that's pretty cool. That was pretty neat. Um, I don't know. I got Rachel Notley into a show once. She's really? Pretty, she's pretty big these days, isn't she? Yeah. yeah what she show, what show did she you get her into? She wanted to go see Nathaniel Rateliff in the Night Sweats at the Windspear. Huh. So she had her, her people call my people, which is me. So how does that work then? Do you do you go to Nathaniel Rateliff in the Night Sweats and you say the Premier of Alberta is here and then we're going to organize a little meet and greet and then... You know. uh, I actually already have the tickets in hand, so... Uh, she got the seats that I had tickets for. It turned out to be that little box uh, 
balcony thing next to the stage anyway. Uh, it was funny because when I went got to the show, the bartender there was like, oh, by the way, just so you know, the premiere's here today, so you know, don't freak out. And I'm like, yeah, I got other tickets. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you're not going to want to answer this because you're known around town as a pretty nice guy, a very gracious guy, but who is a total jerk? Uh, you know, people ask me that. I don't know. No one really. Come on. Sometimes Give me a break. bad days. Don't you have a bad day? Sometimes do. You yeah. And, and some people would answer that question. <laughs> as Jesperson is a total jerk. No, so one, that... no one's a jerk. I mean, everybody pretty much realizes that we're on the same team. And, you know. Uh, I don't believe you for a second. Up. Is somebody notoriously difficult to deal with? Notoriously difficult. I've never had anybody who's notoriously <laughs> difficult. Everything is sunshine and rainbows not at Universal really. Music. I gonna... mean, I'm, I know you're not going to crap on one of your own artists. You know, it gets annoying sometimes. Uh, last week I had an experience where an artist had to be up off his tour bus at a certain time in the morning, and I got there, and he wasn't even awake. <laughs> Nor was his tour manager. So, you know... That was but it's like, music, Ur. man. Like, they're <laughs> sure. not supposed to be... Like, if, if, if a musician was, like, cleanly shaved wearing a pressed shirt at 6 in the morning, you'd have yeah. to be somewhat suspicious, well, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's what I love about Jake from Headley, because when he comes to town to do a promo tour, he has a toothbrush. Not even a suitcase. A toothbrush. Keeping it real. Yeah. Uh, Todd Croshaw, a friend of this show, and I know a mutual friend of ours, has insisted <laughs> I, I make you talk about your t-shirt collection. I have a rock Your box rock and roll. <laughs> Tell me yeah, about this. It's just a cardboard box in my basement that I just throw all my old t-shirts into because one day maybe my kids will think they're cool or something, but uh, uh, yeah. Do you have a treasured concert t-shirt? Um, probably my Iron Maiden one from like 1980. 1980- Eight or eighty-seven or something like that. Just uh, the imagery is cool on it, and it's like eight million sizes too small. I wonder how I ever fit into it. And um, yeah, I love that Iron Maiden has kept their album art uh, along a consistent theme. Branding for like thirty years. Brand that Eddie. You know, yeah, Eddie's the guy. A hundred percent. And uh, <laughs> on a side note, uh, we don't have to get into this. It drives me nuts now. The vintage movement, which I can respect. They're doing all like the vintage distressed T-shirts, but they're yeah. new. Right. That's what I love about music. I love old or new music that sounds old. So I guess that's like distressed music. Who's, <laughs> a, who's a new music that sounds old band yeah. that we may not have heard of, but need to check out? Uh, James Hunter Six. James Hunter Six. He's a great guy. He's from the UK. He's put out his like fourth album, I believe. And they're all. He sounds like James Brown, but uh, Sam Cooke kind of thing. Uh, he's really cool. Charles Bradley. He's played the Folk Fest and Interstellar Rodeo in the past. But he's another guy. It's amazing. Totally sounds old school. Yeah. So there's a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old listening right now no, that, that connected with your story. There are kids that drop out of school just to <laughs> right. listen to this show, John. And they're looking for words of wisdom from the marketing and promo rep of Universal Music Canada, the mm-hmm. one that holds what will prove to be one day this child's dream job. And they need sage advice from you mm-hmm. as we sign off. Well, it sounds cliche, but follow your dreams. I mean, this was a dream of mine, and a lot of people thought it wasn't possible or that it still isn't possible but here I am 21 years later and I'm going to speak at a junior high and I'm, next week and I'm speaking at Grant McEwen uh, University uh, soon as well so I'm and you never have knowledge. to work with a single jerk never if I do I get out fast John Dunham it's an absolute pleasure to have you here in studio thanks that's a handshake on radio thanks for the great work you do people can feel those handshakes through <laughs> yes. the microphones right. I sense that <laughs> we've got the news coming up and then we're going to talk to Dr. Christina Stasia How do you get more women in leadership without interfering with due process? That's where we'll go next.
Our thanks to John Dunham for joining us in this week's installment of Really Cool Jobs. If you missed it, the marketing and promotions rep from Universal Music Canada. You'll be able to catch that interview under the SoundCloud link. Just check out shows at 630ched.com. You know, we podcast on iTunes as well. Uh, Jack sent in a great question right as we said goodbye. He said, if you could drive a tour bus for any particular artist or band, who would it be? I wonder what our next guest would say, Dr. Christina Stasia in the house. If you could drive a tour bus for any band or any artist, who would you drive a tour bus for? That's an excellent question. Maybe, I'm totally uh, putting you on this, but you didn't expect... Sleater Kinney. Who? Sleater Kinney. Sleeta Kinney? Sleater Kinney. It's a Riot Girl Sleater. punk band. I feel, I feel like... <laughs> Your grandfather is like, what's who is this? Slater Kenny. Slayer Kenny. What is it's that? Punk, Ryan. It's okay. Punk. Well, you know, you know, my, my answer would be, uh, and someone else has already chimed in on them. It's a very small world. Someone, this is B writing and says the Sheepdogs are definitely a new band that sounds old. You're nodding and smiling. Okay. You're familiar with the Pride of Saskatoon? A little bit. I just saw the Sheepdogs at Union Hall a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, um, how the hell are these guys playing venues with 300 people? Like it's it, it's it's incredible. The sheepdogs are... Anyway, I digress. Welcome back to studio. Thanks for having me. For those that are unfamiliar with Dr. Stasia, you are a a gender equity consultant. You're also the director of instruction at the Peter Lougheed Leadership College at the University of Alberta. You work directly with the former Prime Minister, Kim Campbell. I do, and I'm very fortunate to do so. What does a gender equity consultant do? So I work with businesses, corporations, um, political groups to review um, what they're doing in terms of equity, in terms of gender and race in their businesses and to look how we can make it better and we can improve the chances of everyone succeeding at the company. This is a conversation that people are having, it seems, more frequently than ever before, but the idea is not new. It's not new. Um, I think with this sort of visibility lately and the push of social media that we're starting to have this conversation outside of just the academy or boardrooms and people are taking a genuine interest in it. One of the reasons I think Edmontonians are talking about this is because, you know, we'll call it a major reorganization or a a shuffle uh, took effect down at City Hall and the neighboring offices just yesterday and now... Uh, we can officially state that not one of the city's general managers will be female. Even Linda Cochran, who's the acting city manager, has that, well, the qualifier in front of her title. And once they hire a new city manager, if it's not her or another woman, it'll essentially be a shutout. You have a look on your face like when somebody says the Oilers are going to miss playoffs again. You're like, hmm. Well, that I'd kind of expect, but I mean, this is also expected in in many ways. This is what we see across the board in Canada. So in Canada, we have 48% of the labor force is made up by women, but only 0.32%, of women hold senior management positions. Is that true? So we're looking at uh, 26,000 of more than 8 million working women. So this isn't just an Edmonton problem or a City Hall problem or an Alberta problem. This is Canada-wide. And that, I mean, that's 0.32% of women holding senior management positions is just, it's unacceptable. I'm trying to think of a, of a metaphor that would work here. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to think of maybe the slowest moving vehicle possible the slowest moving method of transportation i suppose you might say it's like trying to turn around an aircraft carrier or or it's trying to slow down a freight train with four locomotives i mean where do you start with something like this because you can't just 
drastically change the dynamic gender-wise mm-hmm. in boardrooms or upper management. We've seen some countries do that. We've seen some countries put in a quota system where they're requiring uh, gender parity on on boards or in senior level positions, and that's certainly one approach. But the th- in order to get gender equity in organizations, it's not just about changing the businesses, it's about shifting our culture, right? It's it's about the way we live our daily lives, the education that we give to um, the students in the schools. It's it has to be, it, it's a multi-part solution. It's Even if we put in a quota system, that wouldn't solve it. That's like a Band-Aid. It's a temporary measure. So, And it, it's, it's, it's uh, controversial is not the right word, but I think it's hard for, for people that would sit there and support, myself included, obviously more women in leadership. Mm-hmm. I can't support a quota system because it implies that you're not taking the best person for the job. It does in some ways, but the important thing to remember about a quota system is that we assume that the best person is getting the job without without the quota system. Ah. And that's just often not true. So the flip side, the flip side of that is if we're looking at only 0.32% of working women in Canada hold senior management positions, is that because there's only 0.32% of qualified, capable women? Are all those men who are holding those executive positions and management positions, are they just better? Are they just more qualified? Or maybe are they getting it because the companies aren't worried that, about promoting those men because they're going to leave and have children, right? Because a lot of times women don't get hired in their childbearing years or promoted because they're worried that women will leave to have children and then they'll have to find a replacement and deal with maternity leave. So we have to also realize that just because we don't have a quota system doesn't mean the best people are getting a job. Sometimes you get the job because you're a man. Sometimes you get it because you're white. Sometimes you get it because you're, you're straight. Um, English is your first language. There's so, there's so many factors that play into it. And it's hard to think about that because we all want to think that we are awarded and promoted and hired because of our unique qualifications. And that's part of it. But gender plays into it just as much as a benefit for men as it does a disadvantage for women. It's interesting anytime we talk about uh, pay inequity relating to gender. Many people insist that it does not exist. Do you steadfastly believe that there's evidence to suggest that women, generally speaking, are paid less than men, including right here in Alberta or right here in Edmonton? Yes. Yes, they are. And, and they're, you say it definitively. I mean, every, you know, there's, there's just study after study and government studies, and, and these are Canadian statistics and studies that, that show Canada has a huge wage gap problem. Alberta has the worst wage gap problem. And it's not just that women are paid less, but women are also promoted less. So their ability to accrue more money and perks is it's really challenging for them to be able to do that. So even if they're working as long as men, they're going to be doing it often in lower level positions where they're paid less. And so this gender wage gap is, is very, it's very real. When we take a look at the city, to, to, to throw some more numbers at you if you're tuning in to help you decide on how you feel about this, when we take a look at the city of Edmonton's branch manager level, 25 positions are held by men, 5 by women. And then, of course, there's Edmonton's 13-member city council with just one woman, of course, Councillor Bev Esslinger. But we need to evaluate that differently, don't we? Because that one went to a vote 
Or do we evaluate it differently? That's where we'll pick up with Dr. Christina Stasia right after this. Well, Dr. Christina Stasia, our guest here in studio, she's a gender equity consultant. I'm I'm just going to pick at random messages off our text line to 630-630. Steven says, my son's in grade five. Uh, He tells me, says Steven, that there's not one male teacher in his school. He feels there's no connection between students and staff and that the boys actually don't feel that they're represented. He says it affects gym class. It affects discipline. He often says the school is actually geared towards the girls. I keep telling him to hold on and that he'll have some male role models when he gets to junior high. Jonathan says perhaps fewer women are are, are actually applying for management positions. I don't know. And, And Betty, Betty's a woman, she clarifies, says, I believe it's a choice, plain and simple. And a quota system doesn't work. Betty says, I could have had a high-paying leadership position in my company, but I chose not to because I really don't want the headache and frustration that comes with it. It's great that Betty had the luxury of choosing. We have to remember that that's not true for most women. There's a sort of myth that women choose to remove themselves from the workforce. Sometimes you hear it called the, the unfortunately, called the mommy track. But choice is not made in a vacuum. And we don't get, how can you make a choice when we don't have universal daycare? We don't have paternal leave. There's the way that our society, the work places set up, the the laws around uh, paternal leave, the lack of daycare, these are things that make an force people to choose like to stay home women it's hard to make the choice to work if there's no universal daycare if you need someone to take care of your kids you can't afford daycare there's no and there's no universal daycare what are you going to do and we have to remember that this choice thing is a really sort of privileged position i'm i don't know i don't know anything about betty other than that she made that choice but most women don't have that option how do you get to choose to stay at home if you need two incomes which most families do need two incomes um, when they have kids. How do you, working women, uh, poor women um, have always had to work and take care of their families. So there's a certain luxury and privilege of that choice. And I just think it's important to remember that most women don't get to make that choice. On February 22nd, residents of of Ward 12 right here in Edmonton went back to the polls, a by-election to uh, replace uh, former city councilor Amarjeet Sohi, as you know, uh, now retired Edmonton police detective Mo Banga, a resounding win in Ward 12. Of the 32 candidates, which I still shake my head when I hear that, what, what, what a crazy case ballot. study that was, that ballot. 32 <laughs> options on the ballot. Of the 32, there were many women, and many of them well-qualified and, and would have done well to represent that ward. However, the constituents just so happened to elect a man. Now, I took issue when I heard someone here in these hallways at Chorus Radio lamenting the fact, lamenting the fact that, that a woman wasn't elected. They went so far as to say it was BS and that's on Ward 12. Aside from the fact that, and it feels tacky to say this, Mobanga is obviously a visible minority which mm-hmm. has to be a win. How would you have played that situation out differently in a utopia? Is it unfortunate? I mean, is it unfortunate that a woman didn't win? You can't interfere with the electoral process to get more than one woman on city council, can you? I think it's unfortunate that our council doesn't look like the population that it represents. And and that's not just true of our Edmonton City Council. That's true of, of a lot of organizations. I don't know if you just saw the article in Metro about the Calgary Diversity Task Force on the police. It's for white men, and that's the Diversity the task, task Force. force. Oh, and geez. it's for white men all the same age, right? So we don't... 
we need to think about what do we want our council to look like? Do we want it to look like the city that we all live in and the city that it represents? We also need to be careful not to um, not to always collapse that someone's uh, gender or their biological sex, rather, with their ability to advocate for women. <laughs> because just because you have a vagina doesn't mean you're necessarily an advocate for women. I can think of a number of... I can think of a number oh, just of say one that that don't really advocate for for women yet they are women and like we, who Ryan I'm not gonna say that. you don't have to get too personal if you want to you don't have you don't have to say someone in Edmonton but who's a prominent woman that doesn't do women any favors Sarah Palin there's a nice popular example from from the states Margaret Thatcher so there's there's lots of women who are in leadership positions who don't help other women and there's lots of men in leadership positions who do and that's really important to remember now I don't I don't know very much about Councillor Benga and I, I look forward to to getting to know more about him but certainly on city council there are men who are committed to gender parity and to gender equality in this city thinking of you know, obviously Mayor Iveson Councillor Nat Councillor Henderson Councillor McKean these are these are men who go out of their way to have these conversations about gender parity, to mentor women, to to try and create a more equitable city. So I think you know, with male candidates, it's really important to ask them like, where, and, and where do you stand on gender equity? Just like it's important to ask our white candidates, like, what are you going to do to create a more inclusive city? Some interesting takes here, and we, 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 I'm sure. We, I know you kind of like cringed when I said <laughs> we're going to go to the text line. It's almost like you expect blowback when you go on the radio to talk about this. I, it's it's funny. Is that it? just because it happens every single time? Every single time. Uh, <laughs> Sam says, uh, telling his personal story, I have two white Anglo-Saxon sons with university degrees, and they can't find a job because the only requirement now is to be a visible minority or a female. That's I'd love to, I'd love if Sam could send in like where those applications say that because I'm not aware of that so that's really interesting. You want to wrap it up there? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, uh, Matthew wants me to ask you why you make it seem like a bad thing that a woman would stay home and raise her children. He says it's an honorable decision and one that we made together as a family. Okay. It's not a bad thing for anyone to stay home and raise their children. It's a bad thing when we decide who stays home to raise their children based on who has the penis and who has the vagina. That's the bad thing. If you're having an honest conversation about who's at the point in their career where they want to take time away, who's who's better, who enjoys being with kids more, um, who wants to do this more, that's that's fine. But but in reality, women are overrepresented as the stay-at-home parents. And we don't have paternal leave in this country in the ways that we need it in order to facilitate true equality and true choice so that it's not determined by gender. A lot of women are upset that you took a shot at Margaret Thatcher saying they can't believe that you, that you, that you tore her down. Uh, you know, they say that, you know, one, one listener here says Margaret Thatcher brought women up. She's my hero. What was it about Thatcher's legacy that you take issue with? I do... <laughs> I didn't slam Margaret Thatcher. She certainly didn't uh, privilege gender equality or parity as as one of her platforms. That wasn't what her focus was. And her treatment of working class people, which are also working class women, was really, um, really, really horrible. So, you know, we, we don't have to idealize our female leaders. Just because there's so few of them doesn't mean that we have to ignore the parts of them that 
um, where they could have done better. Hmm. Listener here says, I'm a firefighter. I was passed over for a quota hire of women and minorities. This is after the physical test had already been changed because it was deemed to be gender biased. Another listener is wondering why we're only talking about positions of upper management, saying, why aren't we talking about, this is Dave, uh, equality in plumbing or sanitation? That's where we'll go with Dr. Stasia right after this. 1053, Dr. Christina Stasia, our guest, a gender equality consultant director of instruction over at the University of Alberta's Peter Lougheed Leadership College at the U of A. I'm sure you're familiar with the Wisest program, the yeah. doctor. This is the one that, that sort of encourages young girls, I think they're like the, the junior high into high school age, to pursue careers in, in science and technology and engineering. Uh, an interesting question from a listener, I think it was Dave, that said, why aren't we talking about equality in, in plumbing and sanitation? Yeah. I totally agree with Dave, and and I also agree with there was a call or sorry text liner earlier who talked about the fact that all of his son's teachers were women, and just as important as it is to have groups like Wisest, which is an amazing organization um, that's done a lot to improve gender equity in in sciences, we also need to have those same conversations about men and or with boys about accessing non-traditionally male occupations. So things like education and nursing, what we call the, the caring professions. But we need to also encourage boys that it's okay to go into this. You don't have to, if, if you want to be a nurse, like there's no shame in being a nurse or a teacher. So I think we need to even that out and also have those conversations with boys. Because ultimately what we want to do is show that professions aren't gendered, that that they're based on skill and capacity and that everyone should have access to them. So we need to be telling boys, you know, it's okay to be, if you want to be an elementary school teacher, that's great. If you want to be a fighter fighter, that's great. And that's, we need to tell the same thing to girls. I want to ask how, how your ideal home circumstance would look. Because uh, I'm imagining that if you want to talk about impacting attitudes, yeah. typically that's where it starts. And let me tee it up. I'm trying to work in as much viewer, listener feedback sure. rather as I can. Uh, this one and, and identifies as a woman, doesn't give a name, says if you're an executive or a senior level manager, you can afford daycare or your husband can choose to stay home. I'm so tired of all this BS. And yes, I'm a woman. If you're going to have kids, both parents can't have demanding careers. I don't care who stays home, whether it's mom or dad, but you don't have kids if neither of you plan to raise them. I also choose not to go into management. I have, and I still have plenty of opportunities to do so if I choose. Yeah. Um, I think it's really great that this texter feels so empowered and that she has all this choice. But again, it's not true for most women. And if you're not working a job, like if you're, you know, if you don't have enough money to pay for daycare or a nanny, you and you have to stay at home then and you then you don't you're not working and then you don't have enough money to pay your bills and then you're living at the poverty line i mean there's it's such a there's a real sort of blindness to class analysis here when we when we talk about choice I talked to the premier just a short time ago, and if people missed it, they can they can watch that interview on our YouTube channel, 630 Ched, and, and you can see her posture and her facial expression 
indicate her displeasure with what was my final question of the interview. And that was about Minister Stephanie McLean, mm-hmm. uh, who just gave birth to a beautiful young boy. And congratulations to them. She's actually, as shocking as it was for me to hear, the first yeah. elected uh, representative in Alberta's legislature to give birth while in term. And I asked the premier, you know, listeners submit questions all the time, why she would choose to appoint a cabinet minister to an important portfolio literally two weeks before she was to take a maternity leave. And we don't know how long that maternity mm-hmm. leave will be. And I'm not saying that Stephanie McLean won't work from home. And I'm not saying she doesn't deserve the promotion. Right. I'm certainly not. But I thought the timing was strange because you expect your government ministers to be able to oversee that ministry. And right now, how would you have responded to that question? I think as long as we're discriminating against women of childbearing years, then we're losing a really valuable, important part of our workforce. So I don't... Premier Notley chose this person for this position based on their capacity and their skills. And and I don't know, of course, all the reasons why she chose her. But imagine that I was best qualified for this job, but the Premier knew that I was about to go surf in Brazil for four months or six months. Would I be the best candidate for a, a brand new minister's role? I don't think we want to compare a vacation or a sabbatical. So let's say I was uh, let's say I was I was going to go dig out a foundation and do a bunch of hard work. You don't have to tell me that parenting is hard work. I'm I'm right in the middle of one right now. My wife's working harder than me. I have no problem saying that. My point is just to say, is it the right time to award someone a ministry right as they're about to leave? I mean, doesn't it set back the whole movement? Which movement? The movement of, of, of trying to sell the idea of equality to the general populace. I don't think so. And I think, again, we have to remember that women who are not privileged, poor women, they don't have the luxury often of maternity leaves or staying at home. They're right back at work right away. And they're, they're doing um, physical labor or low-paid work. So let's see what happens. Let's see how this minister executes her position. And surely people have to leave or take leaves all the time, whether it's a a parental leave or an illness or something happens in the family. Organizations are equipped to provide that person with support to ensure the work still gets done. I'm very skeptical that Premier Notley would have left this ministry floundering knowing that. Dr. Stasia, it always feels like we're leaving the majority of good questions on the table every time we talk because it's an issue with great depth. I want to thank you for coming in here to talk about gender equality and and hopefully helping us think about some things we may not have otherwise considered. And I just want to say one more thing, Ryan, which is, you know, we're, Canada totes itself as a leader in gender equality, and there's there's people saying, oh, well, we're equal and it's all a choice. But the statistics don't just don't bear that, just don't bear that out in the home and also in the in the workplace. So in the home, um, single men do um, single childless men do eight hours of housework a week, and single childless women do ten. After marriage, men's housework time spent doing housework decreases. Women's